you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God bless this reading of his word. If you have been at Crossway for any amount of time at all, uh, you've hopefully noticed that we have a very strong tendency in our preaching. And that tendency in our preaching is that we preach expositionally and we preach continuously. And what we mean by that is expositionally means that it's driven by the text. That if we were to preach any sermon, no matter what it would be, we would open up the scriptures to a passage and we would teach what that passage says. What we don't typically do is talk about a topic and then grab topics throughout scripture or, or even speak what I would like to speak. We speak what the text tends to say. And we, we also preach continuously, which means we preach the next text. So when we go through a book of the Bible, like we've been going through Galatians, you should know and have understanding of what text is going to be preached on next because it is literally the one that I didn't get to when I finished last time. So we, we do this. We think that it's, it's right to do this. This is not the only way to do it, and, and we're going to take a break from that. In the future, we're going to have a sermon series when we're done with Galatians. As you can tell, we're, we're coming to the end. There's not too many more texts left here. And we're going to be talking for about a month, maybe two, on prayer, and we're going to be looking at prayers in Scripture, but even those will be text-driven. When we talk about prayer, we're going to open up our Scriptures and look at how people in the Scripture have prayed. And there are many reasons why this kind of stuff is good. For one, it provides an immediate context to anything that I say. You will have the text before and behind that we're, we're talking about. You can tell if I'm taking it out of context or if I'm doing right things with it. It helps keep us in, in Scripture. It helps keep us glued to the Word when we go directly through books. It provides variety in preaching. Some preachers are really good at preaching fire and brimstone, and some preachers are really good at preaching encouraging sermons, but when you preach through Scripture that way, you're going to get both, and you have to be able to deal with both. The best thing that that kind of preaching does, though, is it forces preachers to say things from the pulpit that they would not always say and that they're not prone to say. And that is where we come today. If left to my own devices, I would have skipped these verses. They make me uncomfortable. They make me uncomfortable because they're about me, and they make me uncomfortable because they're about how you give for me. Okay? And I want to say right off the top that I don't really care for that kind of thing, and I don't for a couple of reasons. First, I realize that there is a tendency for preachers to get a bad name, rightfully so in a number of instances, because of the way they handle finances and the way that they talk about giving for their own purposes. Now, some of that is from health and wellness preachers who are only preaching so that they can get money from people, and they directly ask for money from people. But it's also from well-meaning evangelical preachers who because their ministries are so successful, they grow huge churches, but then they take a very large salary for themselves, so much so that they're probably one of the top earners in their whole congregation. That does not look good to me in the world, and I don't think it looks good to the world either. So because of, of the, the view from the outside, 
because I don't want to be labeled as someone who cares about money more than he cares about the gospel or who really only wants to have people come and to hear the word of God so that I will make money off of it. I tend to not talk about things like this. But it's not just the way it's viewed from the outside. It's also the way it's viewed from the inside. I don't want you to think that I talk about finances and I talk about giving so that I can make more money from you. I'm very sensitive to that. I, I work with a group of people to set the budget at the church to guide the budget, but I never, ever talk to Doug or talk to Pat or talk to anyone else about what I should make. And what's more, I try to distance myself as much as I possibly can from the giving of the church. So I don't know what anyone in this church gives other than my wife, right? I know what we give. I know what no one else gives. And I make it very clear that I don't want to know because I don't want anyone to think that what comes out of my mouth is influenced in any way, shape, or form by what is given in the pews, or in this case, in the seats. So I, I try to stay away from it as much as I possibly can because there's either going to be a problem or I will be perceived to have a problem, and I don't want either of those things. Even with all that being said, here we are. The one who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. This is quite obviously self-serving toward me. Because if you guys do this, then I am taken care of. But I want to tell you something very clear today from this particular passage of Scripture. This particular passage of Scripture is not written to make it seem like your giving is good for the teacher. Of course it's good for the teacher. That's why he's doing it, but he's also arguing strenuously from here that your giving is good for the teacher, but it is also incredibly good for you. It is a benefit and a blessing to you. It's not just that it's good for the preacher, it's good for the congregation. And I also want you to know that this is not a one-off. This isn't the only time we find this kind of teaching within Scripture. We find it in a number of places. Listen to how Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians is a book which is very contentious. The Corinthians do not have a great relationship with Paul. As a matter of fact, they, they kind of look down on Paul as he's writing to them. And one of the reasons why is because he's not wealthy. He doesn't take money from his, his time in Corinth. He didn't take money from his other missionary journeys. The church in Antioch funded him in that. And so Paul is writing a defense of that. And here in verse 3, he begins his defense. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in the hope of sharing the crop. He says, listen, this is known. Notice how he asked this question. These are all rhetorical questions. Paul is not establishing a practice. Paul is saying this is the practice, and it's always been the practice. It's the practice of the apostles. They've been set aside to preach and teach the word, and they get paid by or for, from the churches to preach and teach the word. He says it's not only for them, but when they travel, he says they take their wives with them. 
You're not just funding that individual person, you're funding them so that they can travel with wives. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. The elders who are good leaders ought to be considered worthy of a double honor. And given the context, that double honor is financial, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Now that's twice Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25, 4. It's a beautiful picture. I grew up with a cornfield right across the street, and that means that I know literally nothing about farming. That has nothing to do with anything. I know nothing about farming. And so when you hear, don't, don't Muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain. What that actually is, I had to, I had to YouTube this thing. So in, in poor places where they don't have the technology, you have to find a way to separate the actual good nugget of wheat from the, the shell that's around it. And so what they'll do in poor countries is they will lay it out on the floor. They'll take in their harvest, they will lay it on the floor in a big circle, and they will have just a row of cattle that simply circle around and around and around for hours. And as their feet come down, they will separate out the nutritious part of the kernel from that which is just waste. Okay? So literally, they're treading on the grain. And so what Deuteronomy is instructing you is you can't muzzle those oxen. You can't keep their mouths shut. Now, you can see why people would want to do that, because as those oxen are going around, after a time, they're going to get hungry, and their favorite food is what they're stepping on. So they're going to eat some of it. The idea is it's better for you if you don't muzzle it, because two things are going to happen if you muzzle it. One, you're either going to have to unmuzzle it to take it somewhere else to eat, or two, it's going to get so weak that it doesn't want to tread anymore, or it's just going to die. So the idea is, it is for the better yield, time-wise, product-wise, if you don't muzzle them, it's better for you. Likewise, that is what preachers are to do. Preachers are nothing but brute oxes in this. You don't take the oxen away from the task at hand simply to provide for their needs, and you do not take the preacher away from the task at hand simply to provide for his family's needs that in order to get a better yield of seed from a pastor, from a teacher, you, you support him in his ministry so that he can thresh out the grain. So, given all of that, though, and by the way, when I looked up that YouTube clip, the only comments on there were all from people who were preaching from, Pat, from Deuteronomy 25. It was awesome. They were like, oh, I used this in the clip. So I, I've got to go back and add that little note just to encourage people who put agricultural videos up on the web. It's only good for pastors. So this leads to a couple of questions. First, what do you actually support? What are you actually supporting when you give money to Crossway, when you give money to the ministry? What are you actually supporting? And I want to be very, very clear about this. You are not supporting me. You're not supporting me. Now, there's a way in which that's true, but there's a way in which that's not true. So notice what Paul doesn't say. Verse 6 does not read like this. One who is taught must share all good things with the one who teaches. As though any bloke who happens to wander into this place and utter a couple of facts from Wikipedia and you say, oh, I didn't know that. Thanks for teaching me that. You don't have to hand him over a fiver, okay? What he says is the one who is taught the word. What you are supporting is the teaching of the word. You're not supporting a specific man. You are not to come and to give money to Crossway because you really like me, as nice as that is, or that you really think I'm swell, Great, but you are here to support the word, not me. 
Think of the importance that this would have had for the Galatians. The Galatians were on the precipice of falling off of grace. They were on the precipice of being cut off from Christ and eternally damned forever if they took circumcision on themselves because there were people troubling them with doctrine from somewhere else who were coming in and saying, the law requires you to be circumcised. If they had somebody there that they were paying who was dedicated to learning and teaching the word, that wouldn't have happened. There would have been no trouble. There wouldn't have been a walking up to the precipice and an almost falling over. If they only had somebody like Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, excuse me, 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 8, Paul writes to Timothy, some have departed from these, this, this good teaching of the law, and turned to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. Later on in that same book, in 1 Timothy 4.6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. If the Galatians had listened to Paul, if they knew what it was that they were getting themselves into, they would have gladly paid someone so that they could have been kept from this. Paid someone who knows what he's doing in the word to bring the word of God to them. So I am very clearly not here to support your desires and your wants. I'm not here to be an entertainer. I'm not going to tell a whole bunch of jokes. I'm certainly not going to do a song and dance, and that's, that's mostly for your sake. And I'm not going to tell a bunch of old-timey tales. I'm not here to make you happy by making you joyful in me. I'm here to make you happy and to make you joyful in the Lord. So I'm not here to tell jokes and I'm not here to be an entertainer. I'm certainly not here to be some sort of fundamental think tank to give you some sort of idea of how you're supposed to progress with political policies in the world. I'm not a lecturer. I'm not a university professor. I'm not a motivator here so that you can get through the rest of your week. You get a little jazzed up by what's going on here and you can go out and make it through the rest of your week. I'm certainly not a pop culture expert and I'm not a guru who's going to tell you seven tips to a better marriage. I'm not here to make you feel better, frankly more confident, more secure, happier, self-righteous, important, culturally relevant, politically correct, or even content with where you are in life. That is not my job. I'm here to preach the word of God. That is what you are paying me to do. You're not paying me to tell you what you want to hear. You're paying me to tell you what God has said. So, 2 Timothy 4. After Paul tells Timothy how useful the word of God is. God, scripture is breathed out and it's profitable for making us perfect and complete, right? It's, it's meant to make us ready and, and willing to do any good work. He says this to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. Let us not be that kind of people. Timothy was charged by Paul to preach the word. That is what every preacher is called to do, preach the word in season and out of season, whether you want to or whether you don't, whether it seems right or whether it's not, you preach the word of God. When that word calls for encouragement, man, I am happy to give it. 
When it calls for politically charged messages, I will do so. When it calls for contentment to you, I will provide it with all of the compassion that I can muster. When it calls for your confidence in the Lord, I will demonstrate my own confidence in the word of God with all the faith that I've got. But I must be driven by the word of God. And that is what we are doing when we come here. So that means that sometimes I don't want you to be comfortable because the word of God shouldn't let you be comfortable. There are many times when I preach, I would rather you feel, leave feeling worse than better. There are many times when I preach that I would rather cut than heal. Not because I personally want to do that, but because the word of God is calling for those things. In all this, we are here to hear and to preach the word of God. And here specifically, there is no doubt that the word here is also the gospel. The very idea that Christ has taken our sin on his own shoulders and has borne it before a holy God so that we would not be cut off from that God. Because as sinful creatures, we, we sinned before God. And in our sin, we had the wrath of God pointed at us and, and coming toward us. And Jesus, because he was sent from the Father himself, stepped in the midst of that and took the wrath of God for us. Being crucified, dying, and being resurrected on the third day, he then has justified those who have faith in him. That is what we preach. That is what we proclaim. And everything, including even the message today, are simply extensions of that. We are here to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. And not only has he come to do that, but he does that. So you support the gospel. Question number two, why do you support it? Paul turns to this another agricultural image of sowing and reaping. And he begins in verse 7 by saying that God is not mocked. Listen, God, God is not mocked. You can be deceived, but God is not deceived. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Listen, I, I really dislike when people lie to me, okay? I hate when people lie to me, but I hate it more when people lie badly to me. Put some effort into it, people. If, if you're going to lie to me, make up something good. Really work at it. Don't be lazy about it. Try really hard. And if you do that, you could fool me. I could fall for it because I'm, I'm gullible. But no matter how hard you try at it, no matter how good of a tale you can spin, you will never deceive God. God is not somehow blindsided by why you give or what you give. He knows why you give. He knows the purpose in your heart for what you're giving. And so Paul says, it's not just sowing that matters. You can't just throw out your money and expect that God's going to do something wonderful with that. You throw out your money, God knows why you're doing it, and you will reap the reason why you've sown. So, he takes this sort of general proverb, what you sow, you also reap, which makes a lot of good sense. Listen, if you go down to Home Depot and you think you bought some lettuce seeds and you put them in the ground and peppers come up, you have not witnessed a miracle. You bought peppers, okay? No matter what Home Depot told you or what any other nursery told you, you bought peppers, right? What you put in the ground is what comes up, right? And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. And then he turns it and he says, this is also true for your flesh and for the spirit. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap only something small like eternal life. Go back to 5.16. 
realize this is simply an extension of walking in the Spirit versus the desires of the flesh. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another. They keep you from doing the things you want to do. So when your flesh says, I want to do this, the Spirit convicts you and says, no, you can't do that. And then when your spirit, when the spirit of God wants you to walk in a certain way, your flesh will pull against it so you can't do those things either. If you desire to support me from the word of God, preaching the word of God, in the strong hope that I will give your flesh what it wants, so that I simply support your positions, that I simply make you feel comfortable, or, or I even allow you to progress in your sins, and I will, I will give you comfort from the word of God and say, well, really, Paul doesn't mean that. You can continue in your pride. You can continue in your arrogance. You can continue in, in sexual deviancy. You can continue in any of a number of sins that we want to list from here. You can continue in those things, and you want me to think, or you want me to speak words of comfort to people who are in sin. You can find that easy enough. There are plenty of churches around who will do that. But Paul's warning is, you will reap what you sow if you use your money to support your flesh. If you give money to hear somebody who is only going to tell you the things you want, who will allow you to continue to walk in your flesh, Paul says, you will continue to walk in your flesh. Preaching that supports sin makes it feel at home and eases it in your heart encourages people to walk in the works of the flesh, and Paul warns, as he has done before, such people will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction in the flesh. Why do you give? Why do you give? Paul turns around, though, and he says, but if you sow to the Spirit, and and you will reap not just the fruit of the Spirit, which is true. We can go back and we can talk about, he's using an agricultural metaphor here. It's perfectly fine to go back and talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but he's also talking about eternal life. Notice the connection to the word here. The one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches because they're teaching the word. You are giving money. You are supporting me so that I will preach the word of God to you so that you might gain spiritually from the word of God. You are sowing in the spirit when you do it rightly. If you do give money so that the word of God will be presented to you, there will be fruit in your life. This fruit sometimes looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And sometimes it looks like nothing more than the new creation in the heart of a person when new life comes to them and the giving of the eternal kingdom of Christ to others. The Spirit and the Word always work together, so that if you give to support the preaching of the Word, you give in the Spirit of God, and He will not disappoint. Support the preaching of the Word will go directly to your spiritual health, and again, what I would say to you is, it is for your good. So you give to support the preaching of the Word, and you give to the Spirit. Thirdly, how do you support it? You support it first generously. Notice it says all good things. The one who has taught the word must share all good things. Now, there's a right and a wrong way to apply this. If you just bought a new car and I say, mmm, that looks like a good thing, okay? I don't get to go and like sequester it from you because I can say, hey, Galatians 6.6, 6, you've got to share all good things with me. You get to drive home my 20-year-old car and I will drive home yours because you, everyone wants to follow Galatians 6.6, 6, right? 
Sometimes people twist scriptures because they want to become rich and they want to say all good things means that you get to pile up any good thing that you have. You should be giving part of it and portions of it to the one who teaches. And this is a way that pastors, frankly, get to be quite wealthy. I have no desire to be wealthy in the world. Listen to the words of 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. Listen to the connection. This is going to end up with a very famous verse in scripture, but notice where it starts. It starts not with worrying about money, but it starts with worrying about false teaching. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10, if anyone teaches a false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Why does bad preaching happen? Why do false doctrines get promoted? False doctrines get promoted because it's a way for the people who promote them to get money. It's a pathway of greed. Paul says, but godliness with contentment Contentment, being happy with what you've got, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into a temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plague, or excuse me, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Who wants that. Who wants riches if that's what it leads to? All things here doesn't refer to gathering up of all of the money that you possibly can. All good things typically refers to simply the basic necessities of life. As Paul said, even in 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and clothing, we've got it. We're content with that. I have all the food, I have all the clothing, I have shelter, I have everything. You guys have provided more than enough for me. Now certainly in certain situations, these ideas change. In Paul's day, it was different than what it is here. But almost always in Scripture, when we hear this word of all good things, all it refers to are just the basic necessities of life. What do you need to get through life? Those are the things that the church ought to supply to those who preach. They don't need to supply Rolexes. They don't need to supply fancy suits. They don't need to supply new cars. They don't need to supply boats. They don't need to supply phones or any of that other stuff. They need to give them the basic necessities of life. That is what sharing all good things with a minister or with a pastor or with a preacher means. I want to be very clear. I don't think that being rich is a problem, but it is a danger. And you need to be very careful. And this is not simply a warning to pastors. It's a warning to everybody. Listen to 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Again, 1 Timothy 6. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant. Notice, pride and arrogance. They're working together for people who want to be rich and who want all the money. Not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who provides us with all things to enjoy. 
Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works and generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Give generously, he says. You who have money, who God is blessed with money, give generously and give faithfully. Notice what Paul goes on to say here in Galatians. In verse 9, do not let us grow weary of doing good, of doing these good things. Specifically here, doing good in general, as we're going to talk about, but doing good in giving and sharing for the proclamation of the word. Do not grow weary of doing it, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The word of God does not fail. And that means that you will grow. You might not see the growth in your life today. You might not see it over the course of weeks, but over the course of years, there will be growth. It might be so incremental that you might not see it, but the word of God does not fail. And as the word of God is proclaimed faithfully and weakly into your hearts and into your minds, it will take hold and it will reshape you. Do not grow weary in doing good. Come and hear the word of God. That is what you are paying for. Not in a bad way, in a good way. Hear the word of God so that it might grow in you and produce fruit in your lives. And even so, produce fruit from the world. Do not give up. Give faithfully to the ministry. Finally, where do we support it? We certainly support it everywhere. Notice what he says in verse 10. Then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As Christ has said, we ought not to ask, who is my neighbor? But rather, the question is, who are we proving ourselves a neighbor to? Friends, go out and do good things. Use your money, use your influence, use your time in the world. You are to do those things. You are to do them happily and generously with everything that you've got. But Paul does add one thing on the end of this, and especially to those who are the household of faith. You have to have a special heart for your brothers and sisters in the church. And one of the reasons why you give is because you want to support them in their hearing of the word. It is not just for the good of you, And it's not just for the good of me, but it's for the good of brothers and sisters who are sitting under the preaching of the word. That is why we give. And so we support primarily the preaching and the teaching of the word and everything that we do. This is why, by the way, we not only support me, but we support missionaries overseas. We pray for Pastor Pastor Ramon and June in the Philippines. We support them. We don't give them full support, but we give them money so that they might be supported in preaching the word of God because we feel like that word of God is going toward the household of faith. We give to the IMB. We give to NAM. We give to support missionaries in Hamtramck. We give to support missions here. We give to support the ministry of the word here in all of its ways that it's proclaimed and taught. We do this because we care about taking care of the household of faith. And sometimes a household of faith are people who know and have come to know the Lord. Sometimes it's for the elect that God has not yet called, but he will. So you support everywhere. You want to be kind and good. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And so because of that, we are to be merciful and kind and loving to people who know Christ and those who do not know Christ. But let it be known, first and foremost, we give out of our wallets and out of our times and out of our hearts so that the word of God may be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Christ has a great many parables. I just talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Probably his most famous one is the parable of the sower. 
talks about the sower who goes out, he's got seed, and he throws it along the ground, and some of it falls on very, very hard ground where it can't penetrate. And birds come and they take it away. And sometimes it falls on really thin ground, and, and the plants sprout up very quickly, but they, they don't have any roots. There's nothing for them really to grow into. And so once a hot day comes out, it, it dries up the ground, it dries up the roots, and they have no sustenance. They can't sustain themselves. Other, other seed falls on good ground, but it's, it's surrounded by thorns and thistles and, and vying for nutrients and vying for water. They, they can't keep up and they're choked out. But some of it falls on really good soil. And there's an increase in the yield. And Christ says, now listen, this is the sowing of the word of God. And sometimes Satan will come and he will snatch it from people before it can even sink in. Sometimes it falls on people and it looks like it grows in them. But man, they're, they're troubled by the persecution and the difficulties of the world and they soon fall away. And some people, it's thorns and thistles. And they are taken away by the things of the world. They see the the beauty of possessions in the world, and they see the beauty of the world around them, and they, they are led astray, and they are choked out, but sometimes it falls on good soil. Listen, by supporting the word of God, and by allowing me graciously, by the way, and, and encouragingly allowing me, the giving of this church is phenomenal. We have nothing, Pastor Doug talked about it this morning in Sunday school, and nothing but good things to say about the giving in this church. This is not a sermon that is meant to beat you down. I promise you that. It is meant to encourage you. Your giving and your supporting the word of God allows me to better preach the word of God. It allows better quality seed to go out into the world. I can't, I can't tell what kind of ground it's going to fall on. I can't tell where your heart is today. But by allowing me an opportunity throughout the week to study, to think through, to meditate and pray through this, there is better quality seed going out. And it's not always great seed, Okay. Sometimes it's like grade C seed. I don't, again, I know nothing about farming. They probably don't grade C seed by ABC. They do? Okay. Grade C, I don't, is grade C really good? It's probably not. So anybody else want to preach? Uh, so <laughs> bad, I, I, sometimes, sometimes we're, not, we're not chucking out great seed, right? Sometimes life gets in the way or sometimes I am fallible. But I will tell you that over the course of a lifetime, there is better seed produced and a better abundance of seed produced because pastors are allowed to sit and study and to think through and to come up with sermons that uphold the word of God, that do not distort it and rightfully proclaim it to people. That is what you are supporting. And I am very, very thankful for it. Because of your giving, I think that you are fulfilling the word of God, not only by Paul here, but also from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You make it very easy. And this is talking about a wide variety of things, right? This is not just talking about the money that you give, but you make pastoring you a joy. And part of that is the fact that financially, I don't have to plead with you to keep up with the budget. I don't need to plead with you to make things good and true and to sort of use your goods in the world to fund the ministry. It is a joy then to know that these things are secure and that we don't have to worry about them. That is helpful to me and it makes my serving you a great joy. Not the only things that make it a great joy, but it helps to make it a great joy. 
But that encouragement is not just so that you will sit there and think we're, we've arrived. It is also an encouragement to say, as Pastor Doug said this morning, that you are to give and to give more so that we can take the word of God more faithfully out into the world. Not to increase my salary, but so that we can be more giving and more generous to missions and to other things that the word of God may be known far and wide. Press on to better things and excel still more in these things. Let us pray. Father God, you are kind to us. As we speak about giving, as we speak about money and, and provision, Father, we know that all these things come from you. We are simply moving around things that you have already put in place. Money exchanging hands from one person to another, Father, that is, it's your money. You are telling us where to move it and where to place it and how it is to be used. It is yours. Father, we, we give money. It doesn't bring the kingdom about. Money is of no avail to you. You can move outside of any giving of surplus or any giving of drought. But we do desire to give and to give generously. And in this, in a small way, we are simply modeling our lives after you. You gave us that which is most precious, the Son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, as Paul says, what, what would you hold back from us then in anything that we give, in anything that we face if you have given us the most precious thing, would you not give us all other things with him? And so, Father, we are more than happy to come and to give of our own lives to you, to lay them down and sacrifice to you. For we know that there is nothing that we will ever lay down that you will not repay us tenfold for. Perhaps not in this life, perhaps not in monetary gain, but, Father, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Let us be content with what we have and let us be joyful to give all the more. For you are a great God, and the world needs to know about you. And we pray that we will accomplish that feat through many means, but also through the giving of your people. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.